We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing great, man. Doing great. Just ready to tackle some New York Giants tight ends here. I mean, it's a, definitely an interesting position group, in my opinion. It can go in many different ways, and you also have the enigma of Evan Ingram involved in all of it. So it should be a fun uh, podcast to break down with you. Yeah, for sure. I am not doing too well myself. I'm going to be honest with the listeners. I'm struggling with a massive hangover after a great day on Friday. Beautiful day out in Sparta, New Jersey, celebrating my one of my best friends, Steve Milano, getting married. In the wedding party, a long day, a lot of pictures, a lot of hanging, a lot of uh, bags. Not good at bags. You ever play that game, Nick? Uh, the hell's a bag? Cornhole, bags. Oh, wait. Yeah. I've never heard of corn. Uh, it's called, called bags in places, yeah. Really? Really? Maybe it's a Midwest thing. I might be from Wisconsin days, but Love not great at that day. game. And especially with a suit on, a full suit on, it was tough to throw those bags in the wind. Wait, so you and I... I have, a lot of, I have a lot of excuses for my performance. Before we dive into this tight end group, all right, you and I, we're very competitive people. Right against each other, we're very competitive. How how is your game with can jam and spike ball and and all those backyard type of games? I'm good at almost every game of those games, especially mm. spike ball, full effort game. I feel like I, I can imagine you diving everywhere. Yeah, I'm definitely diving <laughs> for everything that's in play. Hustle through the roof. My hustle grade is a hundred out of a hundred. As far as can jam goes, I actually am decent if we're throwing from a short distance. Those longer distance games that like the pros. Try, uh, tend to play the pro type can jammers not as good at him obviously a good receiver on the can jam end i can tap it in well good at that but the throw i'm just not a great frisbee guy just not a great yeah no that's understandable i'm better a fan at drinking of games i think are you any good at volleyball backyard volleyball not really no because i'm short and i can't really jump oh okay yeah that's not useful in a game like volleyball i've learned we should have a we should get together one day and and do these backyard games. I think it would be very, very competitive and very fun. Well, we can tape it for the listeners, but don't <laughs> don't quote us on that. It's not a guarantee. But anyway, I'm nursing a massive hangover today. This one's one of the worst I've had. I mean, it's just not going away. I've had two of these electrolyte things called Cure that I found at CVS. Not great. Not working as well as it should. This is not a cure yet for my hangover. So It's falsely advertised. Though. Falsely advertised. Time will tell. I didn't eat enough greasy food. That's usually my go-to. Didn't have enough of that today. <laughs> Need more of that. We'll be having some later when I'm meeting up with a couple of my friends who are in town uh, that are not from here, just for the wedding yesterday. So meet up with a couple others who are just in town for the weekend. So we'll be going to Star Tavern. So those of you who are from the area and don't know Star Tavern, arguably the best bar pie in New Jersey. In my opinion, the best pizza in New Jersey. Where the hell is Star Tavern? Right on the border of West Orange and Orange. Oh, okay. Rated as one of the best pizzas in New Jersey. Thin crust. you got to get it well done. With pe- I go pepperoni. They give you those those middle-sized curly pepperonis. This is that you know you're going to a good place when you get the curly pepperonis. Those spicy curled, the ones that curl up. I know. Those little yeah. ones. When you get the shitty normal ones, that's a bad place. So this is a difference in pizza. Not on my, I'm not on my best right now, so I'm not able to really go all into this take. But check out Star Tavern, everyone. And a little tip if you do end up going there. Order the scampy wings, also well done. Wings should always be ordered well done, by the way. Make those crispy. And then dip the pizza in the scampy sauce. That's the go-to move there. Okay, I might try that sometime then. You will not be trying that because that's like a (laughs) 4,000-calorie meal. None of it. You won't even have a a 
bite of that, I bet. The scampi <laughs> sauce is loaded with butter, garlic, and Parmesan. There's no way I can see you doing that. Yeah, you just crapped on all my dreams, but I think you're spitting facts, to be honest. Sometimes you got to spit the facts. All right, but anyway, for those who didn't get Nick's spoiler earlier, and Nick is supposed to be the man who never spoils anything, but uh, never wants to spoil anything, views everything as a spoiler, but we are doing tight end group today. We did the running it's, back group It's last. in the title, Dan. Yeah, it might be in the title, but yet <laughs> it remains a spoiler for some, in some people's opinion. Some people may have wanted a little bit more of a buildup. Anyway, we're doing the tight ends today. We did the running backs before. We'll work our way through the whole roster. Quarterbacks will come later because we have a guest on for that one. And we may have a guest for another position. We'll see what happens there. But let's start with the position. And I'll just ask you this. On a scale of 1 to 10 going into 2021, how strong would you rate this position group for the Giants? So you'd have to look at a couple factors before we can really get to it. In this hypothetical is Kyle Rudolph healthy for week one? And there's not going to be too much concern revolving around a Liz Frank injury. I think he's going to play week one. I just don't think he's going to be healthy all season. Okay. It's not healthy. He'll be healthy. He'll be out there playing. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the studies that you see, the players coming off the the first year off that Liz Frank, especially when it's... And this is including players who had the surgery way earlier than Rudolph did. Rudolph had his surgery probably sometime, I guess, I would assume, around the time of free agency. Uh, right after he signed, I believe it was. Some guys have this surgery in season the year before, just after the offseason, something like that. And yet those guys, the studies have shown, it takes a full year for them to get their, I guess, feet and legs back under them and to be as effective as they once were. So I don't know if we'll ever see the fully effective best version of Rudolph until the next season, 2022. It's possible. I'm not saying we won't. I'm just saying there is a history of players taking time to come back off the Liz Frank injuries, in addition to re-injuring them as well. Absolutely, and we'll get into Rudolph in a little bit, but I mean, like just off the top of my head, Des Bryant, Sammy Watkins, they were two players that really struggled with that Liz Frank injury. But let's just say that he's available week one, he's nursing the injury, what have you. I would probably put this position group at a, I think a seven. I think that's a solid, uh, a solid place. They don't have any kind of star. I think Kyle Rudolph is an upgrade within Jason Garrett's offense, but I still think Evan Ingram is somebody who can be utilized effectively in this offense on in mesh concepts. You know, even as the nub on the backside of a three by one set, have him go vertical. He's not the best route runner. He's not overly crisp. We've kind of gone over this. I feel like we're beating a dead horse. He's not great on those inside breaking routes to the intermediate to deep portions of the field. But if you ask him to run a drag, he can release off the line of scrimmage and he can do that. And you get him the ball in space. He's a great athlete who can make players miss, but you just cannot rely on him too much in, in the sense of those why those Y option type of routes that we saw just so much in Jason Garrett's offense. And I think the back portion of a Kane Smith being a three is really, really effective as well. Not a big Levine Toilolo guy, but we'll get into all that. How about you? Where would you rank it? Do you think seven is a is a solid point there? Uh, no, I wouldn't rank it as high, nearly as high, though. I would say that I can't rank it too low because relative to the NFL, it's That's... not so bad. The NFL is just so bad at tight end yeah, across no. the board. But there's a good chance the Giants don't have any effective players in this group, in my opinion. Evan Ingram was not an effective player by any means in 2020. He was not somebody you wanted on the field. He didn't help your football team, in my opinion. Kyle Rudolph, at his best, could be an, a, a solid player, I think. I don't think he's as good a blocker as people make him out to be. I don't think he's a, he's an okay receiver. He's better in the red zone. Obviously, the speed isn't there. But he's older now. He started in 2011. has a lot of tread under his tires. Mm-hmm. And so, ultimately, I think both are probably average-ish players so I'm going to give this close and then I don't think the depth is that great Caden Smith's solid tight end three I'm actually fine with that that's probably the best if you just look at tight end one tight end two tight end three the best they're at is tight end three that's really the bigger advantage I think versus the rest of the I guess NFL um, and then there's nothing really in the back end of the roster we both think Levine Toilo is better off on the waiver wire so that leads me to kind of like an average grade. I would probably give him a four or five in between four and five, maybe a four or five it, for me. It depends on how you're looking at it. I was looking at it relative to the NFL because— Even relative to the NFL, though, for okay. me. Like there's okay. just some, there are some plus starters. Like I'd rather have John U. Smith. I'd rather have Hunter Henry. I'd rather have a yes. lot of different players yes. than anyone on this roster. Yes, I, I would tend to agree with that, absolutely. I think it's an upgrade over what the Giants had last year, obviously just the addition of Kyle Rudolph. But I also think it's—one way to look at all this, too, Dan, is— just the propensity of the utilization of the tight ends that Jason Garrett uses. He loves to use 
tight end packages, 12, 13 personnel. And that just puts a lot of stress on these guys because say one of these guys suffers an injury, which could be likely Evan Ingram, two of his seasons were spent basically injured, and right. Kyle Rudolph is coming off an injury. Then you're looking at a lot of Levine Toy Lolo, possibly Cole Hickatini, Rice and John. I don't believe Kelvin Benjamin has a chance at this roster, but you're looking at suboptimal type of players. And that's where this position group concerns me. It's not necessarily just the personnel, but it's the fact that Jason Garrett might employ three of them at a time, which is going to lead to Darius Slayton and Kadarius Toney not seeing the field so much. So we just need to see more spread type of concepts from this Jason Garrett offense, and I'm not fully confident that's going to happen. Yeah, I think you're nailed it. I mean, my biggest concern with this position group is more so the coaching. Will the coaches, Jason Garrett specifically, be looking at this roster and saying, we got it, we went out and we got Kyle Rudolph for a reason? Because we want to run a lot of 12 and 13. Mm -hmm. If your mindset is we want to run a lot of 12 and 13, in my mind, you're really limiting yourself and your offense's ceiling. In today's NFL, it's the truth. You have to get receivers on the field who can miss, who can create mismatches against the secondaries that haven't been loading up. There's a lot of teams across the NFL that have not been loading up on the, in their secondary. They have really, really bad corners across the board. You look at a Jets roster, man. Those, and this is not the only one. I could go through a list of 32 teams. And very few have three corners across the board. And that's just for week one. Once you get through the attrition of the season, you're into those week nine, week 10, 11 weeks. You got some of these corners that shouldn't even be in the NFL playing on an island. And that's what you need. You kind of would rather, at all times for me, I'd almost rather have Kadarius Toney or Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton on an island against one of these injured teams with injured injuries at corner playing some guy at corner who's five foot nine, five foot ten at UDFA who look good in camp but can't hold up a Grand Haley type, if you will, and and that's a bash Grand Haley, but that's just one example that we know because we covered the Giants. Every roster has these. The Giants hopefully won't have that because they've loaded up so much in the secondary, but most teams have really big issues in the secondary. Got to put stress on them. So my biggest concern going into the season with this group is less so the players and more so the coach if he's really going to want to hammer down and hunker down on a lot of 12 and 13 personnel, which I think is very bad for this team. I don't think it's a, at any way, the, any way, shape, or form the way to maximize this offense. It's not. It really isn't. And we've seen a lot of the more progressive offensive coordinators start to implement not just pre-snap motion, which is more of a old school thing at this point, but you use pre-snap motion in a in a unique manner. You use it with speed motions, you use orbit motions behind the quarterback. You get the wide receiver running in motion, kind of like what you see in like Canadian football. You get right. him running behind the quarterback at full speed, snap the football, and then you have him in space. You get him the football quickly. He already has momentum moving forward. If you time that up well, which any professional football team and professional offense should be able to do, you can really put stress on match type of defenses, man defenses, because you move him and then you snap the football, and that's like, what, a one second, 1.5 seconds? That defense has to communicate so quickly, and you can catch the defense in making a mistake, but we never right. see that. But in order to do that, you're going to need the guys like Kadarius Tony, the Darius Slaytons, the Sterling Shepherds out there. You're going to need a little bit more 11 personnel, and like I kind of said earlier, just not confident that's what we're going to see in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm not confident that's what we're going to see in 2020. I would say that history suggests we're not going to see it as much as we want to, just based on what we've seen from Garrett throughout his past. But if this offense isn't moving the ball early on, week four, week five, and they're still, you know, that 31st ranked offense or even in the in the mid-20s, they're going to have to change something up. The pressure is going to build. The New York media is going to get on them. Everybody's going to be firing you know, off into the existence, every possible take about how Jason Garrett needs to go, Daniel Jones stinks, blah, blah, blah. The Giants put all this money into this roster and they can't move the ball still. And so I don't think it's going to last. I mean, he's not an idiot, Jason Garrett. We've said that before. He's a yeah. super smart guy. He's just very old school in his thinking in my mind. And he's not, I think he thinks that at the best the Giants offense can be is if they maximize his specific system rather than what can I do to maximize the players on my team? Yeah, I think you're right there. And maybe, uh, I, like, I do believe that we will see more 11 personnel. But I just still think on those early downs, you're going to see some predictable, you know, 12, 13 personnel. And then maybe they're going to try to spread them out, which we saw a lot last year. And in theory, it sounds good. You know, you line up a 13 personnel. Right. You have that defense in base. You're forcing them in base. And you know what? You're going to spread them out. You're going to try to use the athletic ability of Caden Smith and Evan Ingram to take advantage of linebackers who aren't as athletic. But then you have Levine Toilolo spread out because it was 13 personnel. And that right. guy can hardly run in space. And that necessarily doesn't work. But 
they're not even getting base all the time either these no, days. Like not. defenses aren't even just matching. It's not like old. It's almost like he's thinking like back in the day this might have happened when he was coaching and he was doing well in Dallas. Like back in the day, they would all a lot of times match these big groupings with uh, a lot of linebackers thumping yeah. old school linebackers. Those guys aren't even on the field anymore. Some teams don't even have those guys anymore. Like. The Giants don't have a single player. Reggie yeah, Ragland is probably yeah. the closest player they had. Say, yeah. and David Mayo to some extent last year. and But yet a lot of teams don't even have one of these guys. Or at max have one. And even so, like Reggie Ragland's not even going to be on the field for every one of them. If, you, if they run 12 or 13 at the Giants, I'm, it's not even guaranteed to me Ragland's on the field for every one of those snaps. He'll get some. Obviously, that's what he's here for, to play that role in some regard. Same with Ryan Anderson, I guess, off the edge in those in those specific situations. But... You're not even, as a coach these days, when you put out 12 and 13 these heavy groups and then you do something, like you said, like get all tricky and spread them out and try to get those matchups. Sometimes it's Caden Smith or Levine Toilo, like you said, against a pretty athletic linebacker where there's really no mismatch at all. Or you could get Sterling Shepard, incredible route runner, against one of these third, fourth, fifth down the roster corners, depending on injuries to a team, that can't really hold up with these NFL players. Yes. So it's just, to me, it's not even... I mean, and you don't want to go the McAdoo route where you're just always 91% of the time in (laughs) 11, and it's always that same look with two boundaries in the slot, no staggered receivers, no bunch. Obviously, you don't want to get to that because he didn't run any pre-snap motion either, but there's just different ways to use 11. I mean, Sean McVay made it to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff by basically only running 11 personnel, but doing a lot of different things with his 11 personnel. And and we've seen Jason Garrett, and even though it was in a lot of 12 personnel packages last year, employ things that... I don't want to say deviate from from his standard, but maybe are a little bit more new stuff that Sean McVay's been doing, where he would line up in a tight stack with the tight end on the opposite side, and right. then he would motion Sterling Shepard usually right behind the quarterback, and then just hand the ball off to him from behind, and then you get Sterling Shepard with the tight ends on the edge, sealing the edge, get like yeah. easy like eight yards there. So he's not incapable of adjusting his offense. That's definitely something we have to make clear. It's just we saw a lot of twelve and thirteen personnel, and now with the additions of Kenny Galladay. Kadarius Tony, and to a lesser extent, but still an important extent, John Ross. We want to see more receivers on the field. And potentially a healthy Darius Slayton and yeah, Sterling Shepard, who may, you know, injuries are very luck based in my mind. I'm remain injury agnostic. There's a chance, there's a decent chance, there's a non zero chance that Sterling Shepard could have a fully healthy season for the first time in a while. I mean, he played through a toe injury that must have slowed him down and sapped his effectiveness at some point last season. And so, he still had silly routes, man. Yeah, even with that, even he, playing through with the injury. He's he's one of the most unheralded players on this team. We say it a lot, but yeah. he really does run some stupid, silly routes. There will always be guys as we cover this team through the years, Nick, that'll just be unheralded and they'll roll through the roster. And he got his second contract. He may not get a third. We we would probably, if we had to wager on it, say he wouldn't. And he, I don't even know if we think he'll make it all the way through the third, or I'm sorry, the second. But he's just one of those guys that'll go through the roster, and it might be during a ten-year period like the Giants are in currently, where they've just one of the worst teams. I mean, hopefully this won't happen again, where they're literally one of the worst teams in the NFL for the past decade, pretty much. I mean, five years for sure. They've literally, since, I mean, I think it's the past three years, only the Jets and Giants have, the Giants and Jets have won the least amount of games in the NFL over the past, I think, I believe either two or three years. And so, and even dating back to the last Super Bowl run, there hasn't been much success. So these type of guys sometimes get overlooked, but like you said, he's an unheralded player. And I know a lot of Giants fans have been turned off on Sterling Shepard. They've got given up on him. But I still think he can be a valuable piece of this roster, just somebody you want out there during times when he's not going to play every snap, obviously. We don't. We probably would guess, we'll get to it on the receiver podcast, but I would guess he probably pays a third of the snaps this year, maybe 40%. Yeah, that's so crazy to think about. But there, it's a good problem to have that they yeah. actually have personnel because last year all we did was complain about how they didn't really have personnel. Right. And we complained about other things as well, but I think it was all objective analysis. But now they actually have that personnel, but it's going to affect guys who are talented who aren't going to be able to see the field as often obviously yeah and that and it's also a factor of what you talked about before what we we're talking about before garrett's going to want to run a lot of 12 and 13 and just for those just to back it up in case anyone's new to the podcast i know we talk about it a lot and we've broken it down a lot but personnel we mean this 11 personnel means one back one tight end and that means three receivers on the field so one back one tight end three receivers 12 one back two tight ends two receivers 13 is one back three tight ends and one receiver on the field. In this case, it would most likely be Galladay for most of these types of snaps. And so that's kind of the personnel groupings we've been breaking down. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to dive into some individual breakdowns of these tight ends. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's break down Kyle Rudolph. I put him first. I think he'll be the tight end one this season, and we'll get to that a little bit later. And Big questions facing the roster. Major questions we want to answer, at least for this position group. But let's start with Rudolph. What are your expectations for him coming into the season, coming off the Liz Frank surgery? Coming off the Liz Frank surgery, I expect him to, similar to Saquon Barkley, slowly kind of bring him into the fold. He was out there in many camps, stationary, not running routes, just catching passes, which is a good sign. But we'll see exactly where he's at in training camp but I'm hoping that he'll be fully recovered from this I'm not a doctor so it's really difficult to uh, spouse opinions on it but if he is the way I look at Kyle Rudolph is he's an upgrade over Evan Ingram in almost every way except for he's a much lesser athlete I think you can say but within and we've been saying this for a while Dan within Jason Garrett's offense this is the type of tight end you want I think he's an average blocker. He's a solid blocker. He's not a, a really good blocker. He's not going to dominate all the time, but he is a big body. I think he's a little bit more effective than Evan Ingram is in terms of inline blocking, blocking down, kind of kicking out in the space, locating. Evan Ingram, like I say, and I'm going through the Giants offense right now, he tries his ass off, man. He really, really does, and I really respect him for it, but physics just aren't on his size or on his side because of his size. So I think Kyle Rudolph things he's going to upgrade outside of just the blocking is he has the catch radius he's going to be a true red zone threat and he also has the ability to quickly turn on those spot routes on those stop routes on those quick curls locate the football and he has incredibly soft hands and Evan Ingram struggled with that Evan Ingram struggled with catching the ball in space he struggled catching the ball in a lot of different ways and that's just not something that has plagued Kyle Rudolph's career quite yet which is a really welcome sight for Giants fans because I mean, just even going through, I watched the 49ers game a couple days ago, and it's just Evan Ingram made so many mistakes. And it's just like, oh, my, I, I genuinely feel bad for the individual because it just he couldn't get out of his own way. And I haven't even gotten to the Philadelphia loss where he dropped the ball yet. But even I just finished the Rams game, and even then it's just like there are so many little things that he did where he's in space and it throws the football and he tips it up in the air and it's almost intercepted. Sometimes it is, and it's just like, that's not something that I feel like is going to happen with Kyle Rudolph. And I wonder sometimes is when Evan Ingram does that running in space, is it because he's too fast for his own good and he can't even concentrate because the concentration seems to be the issue. The way he catches the football also seems to be an issue. It's just something that I hope we, we don't see in 2021 because I feel like he, he is capable of better than that. We just saw the worst and like the floor of what Evan Ingram could be. Ironically enough, it ended up being a Pro Bowl season somehow. Yeah, according to the NFL standards. He did make the Pro Bowl, though. Yeah. I think it was the worst <laughs> season of his NFL career. He probably does, too. And I bet he agrees with that. And we'll get into a little bit more of why later. Uh, I have my I have my opinion of why. And I think it could help him this year while also hurting somebody else on the roster. But I'm going to say I do believe Kyle Rudolph is the best tight end on this roster for a lot of reasons. One, the one you mentioned, he's the best fit for this system with Jason Garrett. I think 
he is a little bit overrated in Giants fans' minds right now as a blocker. I think what they're expecting to get from him is not what they're going to get. He is not a full-out two-way tight end type of guy. He was never, he had the frame for it, and he still does have the frame for it. But from everyone I've talked to, including one Vikings insider who wanted to get me on the pod to discuss the Dalvin Tomlinson signing. I just never could make it work. We talked a little bit about each team. He's like, Kyle Rudolph has taken a massive step as a blocker. But what I'm, why I'm saying that is that he used to be a really bad blocker on this team, a liability in spite of his frame. And he does have the frame, unlike Evan Ingram, to be a good blocker. But what he said is he's taken a massive step as a blocker, specifically in space. Now, my one concern there with that translating is that the Vikings coming from that Kubiak system, running a lot of zone, running a lot of wide zone that the Giants just don't run often in this system and won't be running often in Garrett's system. So is he a good blocker for that system or is he a good blocker now overall? That I'm not exactly sure of. But what I do know is that he has improved in that regard. But one area, a few other areas that he's just certainly the best on the roster from the Giants at. One, route running. He's certainly the best route running tight end on this roster. Two, hands. He certainly has by far and away the best hands on the roster. Three, in the red zone. It doesn't make sense. Evan Ingram should be better in the red zone, but he's not. And Kyle Rudolph is effective in the red zone. So those are three areas he's immediately the best on the roster at that position at. And then when you also add in the fact that there's just those little things that come with playing the position for as long as he has at such a high level. Like, this is a guy who came in as a decorated tight end prospect at Notre Dame, had a really good career there, became a first-round pick, had a long career at the Vikings. Versus a guy like Ingram, who came in to Ole Miss as a, I think, two- or three-star recruit, really came on the scene late because um, they, they found a way to—what's his name? Chad Kelly really did an excellent job of using him up the seam as a vertical threat. Then he ran that 4-4-1 at the combine jerry reese saw it and the giants drafted him there's there's just different types of players rudolph's been doing this for a long time so i think you'll also get the benefit of a guy who has the little nuances down the position knows where to be when to be is in the right position isn't doing things like you said you saw in that san francisco game that you just ran back he's not making the mistakes of tipping balls in the air when he knows it's not a good idea he's not running lazy routes just things of that nature that those little little instances where playing clean helps your team more than you'll ever see on this stat sheet. So I think they're getting a lot there. And I think it is a good upgrade as long as the Liz Frank doesn't really play a major factor in this season. Yes, and that's the definitely the one point that you have to stress, and it's something that we, we just don't know quite yet. But you brought up a really interesting point, and it was his route running. And I think that's something that maybe we don't talk about enough. He's just a very, very smart route runner. Yeah. He knows how to uncover against zone coverage. He knows how to manipulate man coverage with those subtle little push-offs and things like that. But there's this one play that I just did the good, great, and ugly on him for Giants Country Sports Illustrated with Patricia Trena. You can guys can go over there and check it out. And I'm talking about how he is an effective receiver with his long catch radius, with his soft hands, with his route running. And the one play I really liked was a play against the Green Bay Packers where he ran a seam route to the field side and it had to be an out and up kind of seam sort of like a stick and nod only a little bit more rounded because the you could see the safety kind of drop down and kind of match Kyle Rudolph a little bit so he has to get really really tight behind him and the way he does it he finds space in a tight quarter between that safety that kind of dropped down it's more of a star because there's two safeties over the top and then he breaks to the middle of the field in the split safety look and he just has that catch radius to, to allow Kirk Cousins to throw in a tight throwing window and make it a safe pass, a safe ball, and just displays those really, really strong hands there. And I love that kind of route. I love the little nuance to it. I love the fact that he adjusted it to get away from that underneath defender, and then he knew the exact angle to bend it to get to the middle of the field and split the safeties. Yeah, you're, and you brought up another great point while breaking that down. It's, it's the savviness of the route running for sure, but it's also those those hands, man. He's a natural hands catcher. He's got big mitts, but he uses them really well. And he's really, in a lot of ways, the antithesis of Evan Ingram in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's I know point. I said that about Kyle Pitts in our breakdown, but just to make a point, because people were like, you should be just taking an athlete at the positions. No, Kyle Pitts is not just an athlete. He's a really good tight end. But as far as the actual antithesis, it might be Kyle Rudolph, because he's not that fast. He's not. He doesn't have a second gear really at all. I mean, if you get him the ball in space on a track route, like uh, that route Ingram took to the house against the Bucks in Jones's first start, that ball ain't going 70 to the house. That ball's going to be 10, 12 yards. And so you know your limitations with him, but he does so many things correctly that you need to do, in my opinion, to play the position effectively. Not just to play the position effectively, but also just to help the team organically, to be a, not a liability out there, but somebody who's 
every down help even if it's in a small way you know like even it's like you said just running the correct route even the ball doesn't get there but using that savviness and not making those mental errors on a consistent basis and so yeah i think he is our tight end one this year but let's roll into evan ingram obviously it's a make or break year for evan ingram not just with the giants i think not that he won't get another chance in his nfl career after this but this is kind of his season to determine where he's going to go and where his nfl trajectory will go so what are your expectations for ingram now coming into this potentially final season uh, at least final season on the current contract potentially final season with the giants well he's not the tight end one anymore so i don't think he's going to be the primary read on those y stick if kyle rudolph's healthy which i feel like could benefit him it might take a little bit of responsibility off him because even going back and watching the film now but i remember we used to say this back when the season was unfolding Evan Ingram, like, I felt like Jason Garrett and Joe Judge were making it a priority to get the football into his hands. They wanted to feed the ball to Evan Ingram because they didn't really have, especially early in the season, a lot of game-changing type of talent because obviously Saquon Barkley got hurt and Sterling Shepard was hurt during that time. So it was really just... Potentially Slayton as well, which is kind of underreported, but maybe the case. Yes, and you know what? Slayton did drop a lot of balls that he just didn't drop in his first season, so that there could be some merit to that as well. So... The way I look at Ingram, I think he's going to be that 12th personnel guy. I think they're going to try to use him as a mismatch and kick him out to the slot. I think they're going to try to spread him out and use his athletic ability. But I think the lesser workload could work to his advantage. And that's what I'm at least hoping. If I want to be optimistic, that's the way I'm kind of viewing it. I think they can use him more on things that he's better at. Get him in space. Like we've said, you can use him to stretch vertically. He's not the best route runner, but he's damn fast. He's going to put some stress on safeties and on those... uh, apex defenders who are going to be forced to cover them whether that be a linebacker dropping to a depth or a cornerback depending on the personnel of the of the defense out there but i'm not expecting a pro bowl type of year but i am expecting some sort of utilization but instead of being that number one read which he was for some time what is he now he's like the fourth fifth so i mean especially if Rudolph occupies that number one tight end role. That means he'll be over him. Kenny Galladay's going to be over him. Sterling Shepard should be over him. Saquon Barkley. I mean, he's probably like the sixth or seventh. So there's a significant workload or significant responsibility that's going to be taken off of him. And I think that's going to benefit him in the long run. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, as far as Ingram goes, I feel like with Ingram, you're at the point now where you have a decent enough sample size to know who he is. I don't know how much players can change this deep into their career. We're asking the same question with Ingram. We're going to be asking about Will Hernandez going into the season. How much can he change? How much How much do we have to rely on the three years of sample size data that we have with these two players? And with Ingram, it's more than that, 17, 18, 19, 20. It's four years of sample size. Or how much do we want to rely on kind of, you know, the talent, the you know you even see it like the route the routes he ran against Cincinnati where he got open vertically like that's the ceiling with a player like him and I think there's a lot of merit to to be had based on what you said which is now that he's not the focus or the focal point of game plans now that he's not the player Jason Garrett's designing plays just to get the ball to and defenses know the ball's going there because Darius Slayton's not playing well or whatever it may be Sterling Shepard's not commanding defensive attention he can potentially have his best season with the Giants. I think you saw a little bit of this in 2018. I'm sorry, in 2017, I believe it was, his rookie season. No one really knew who he was, although he was a first-round pick. Giants still had a lot of big names on the roster. Odell Beckham Jr., of course, commanding an incredible amount of defensive attention. And so he kind of had a much better season without so much focus from the defense. Last year, they were focusing on him in the passing game because there really wasn't that many other players to focus on. And more importantly than that, like you said, the offensive coordinator was designing specific plays and concepts that tipped him off or made him the focal point. And that gives the defenses a way to react to that. And so now he won't be. But there are still so many truths to Evan Ingram's game that at least should give you pause as to the breakout coming now. And that's his route running, his natural hands, even his body control in the air isn't stunning. Isn't anything to write home about, I should say. Obviously, we've talked about kind of the other things, the blocking, those things of that nature. But as far as what he can do as a vertical threat, it's still there. He still has that ability if he's utilized in that way. And what he can do, like you said, on crossers, on the, in the mesh game, if you get him the ball in space, but not running backwards, running toward the sidelines. We can take one step and break up field potentially. And I would love if they used that that vertical aspect that you were talking yeah. about because his best game by far this season was that Cincinnati game. And you know what? Those two routes where he released off the line of scrimmage did a good job releasing and did a great job accelerating into space. And he knew how to 
just use his speed to his advantage to just break away because it was man coverage i want to say on both of those on both of those throws break away from the covering defender who was a cornerback who should athletically be able to match evan ingram he really really showed a lot of uh just ability vertically there something we've kind of complained a lot about because we haven't seen that all that often now if we could see that more often and if it, the giants use it judiciously you know okay we have evan ingram we use him on mesh concept use him on a stick here and then you know what this time it's this man coverage look. We're going to motion the X receiver or the boundary receiver in tight, run him across, and then have Evan Ingram kind of, or have that X guy pick Evan Ingram's defender, rub him, I should say, because a pick is, you know, could be illegal. And then you run a slot fade or just a fade into space with Evan Ingram, kind of like what we saw against the Cincinnati Bengals. You can use that athletic ability to your advantage, get him the football in space, and that could be huge chunk plays. You just got to use it judiciously and, and kind of pick your spots with it. But at the same time, you look at this personnel, how many snaps are we expecting Evan Ingram to play, Dan? Like, that's another thing. Kind of goes back to the 12, 13 personnel thing. But on those, you know, second and longs, third intermediates, I'm wondering if Evan Ingram is going to see the field. Like, I just don't know because uh, we hope to see a little bit more 11 personnel, like we said. And if they are an 11 personnel, are there going to be spots where it's going to be Evan Ingram over Kyle Rudolph? Is that is it going to is person defensive personnel going to dictate? Do they want to get the mismatch advantage of Evan Ingram's athletic ability? These are things that I'm looking forward to seeing in 2021. Yeah, and we'll see with Ingram because you said like his trait is acceleration in space. Now, a good coaching staff would maximize that talent when he has when that coaching staff has other options. You can make the case that coaching staff did not have other options last year. So they had to make him a focal point, do things like the Y stick, do other things designed to get him the ball on comebacks, on curls, spacing routes, yada yada. But now that you have Galladay, Barkley, and Kadarius Tony in the mix, you can use him to the best of his skill set. And the way to do that is, like you said, vertical routes that maximize that one trait that he has. He has one unique dominant trait acceleration in space you said it he gets a good jump off the line of scrimmage on these vertical routes that's acceleration in space the routes against washington from two years ago i believe or three years ago three years ago sorry the route against tampa bay from two years ago where he catches the short mesh and can take that one step plant his foot in the dirt and then go vertical after going horizontal that's once again acceleration in space and so you need to just find ways to maximize him don't look at him as a focal point look at him as another piece of the puzzle another talent that does something unique for your offense that other players don't do like quite honestly because we don't think John Ross is going to be on the field that much and we'll see with Darius Slayton but there's a chance that Ingram is their best vertical threat this year there's a decent chance that that's just the remain I mean Galladay is their best vertical threat but as far as just their fastest their most the guy who can accelerate quickest into that vertical zone and take away a safety or get the ball if you have a one-on-one still the linebacker like they had against the Bengals it still remains Ingram and so from a mismatch perspective I would say for sure because he might be matched up yeah and I guess Slate right he's not going to be matched up against a corner and so I don't know they just need to find a way to better utilize his talent in my mind I know we've been saying that forever but it remains (laughs) the case we have been saying that forever and we just hope to not see as many mistakes man because they were just game changing mistakes game ending mistakes obviously the philadelphia one really comes to mind but there were just a lot of simple mistakes of him fumbling the football him not handling the pass him popping like i said before the pass up in the air there were just a lot of evan ingram was the culprit to turnovers and obviously i think you also have to look at daniel jones in that as well but Evan Ingram did not do himself any justice if, if he's trying to justify seeing the field often in 2021 with all the additions to personnel because he was so mistake prone. If you ask any coach, what do they want? They want you to protect the rock. They want you to not turn the football over because turnovers kill. Evan Ingram, he was a product of a lot of turnovers last year. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's talk about the back end of this roster, all the other tight ends right now on the roster. All right, let's drive into Caden Smith then. So, I mean... I like the development of Caden Smith. I really do. From that six-round pick, I believe, out of Stanford, who was released by the 49ers, probably tried to squeak him onto their practice squad, and Dave Gettleman was like, nah, son, we're going to claim him. And you know what? He showed a lot of interesting, I would say, ability in Pat Shermer's offense. Vertically, you saw him used. I mean, when Evan Ingram was injured, he he was like, wow, can we pick this guy up in fantasy? Like, this guy's actually kind of solid. And then he had the game-winning touchdown. I think he might have had two touchdowns in that game against Washington, the one in overtime on the uh, little drag route. And you're like, okay, this guy has a solid receiving uh, ability. But then this year, we didn't see that as much. But we saw him used as a pivotal 
point to the Giants' rushing attack on that counter play. He was the lead blocker, and you know what? He did a really good job. Backside guard, kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage who's unblocked. Caden Smith would go right into the hole and find the next dangerous guy. Typically, it was a linebacker, sometimes a safety. And Caden Smith did really well running with momentum, locating the block, and then providing an alley for Wayne Gallman, Devonta Freeman, or whomever was running the football. So I... I really like Caden Smith. I, I see like talks on Twitter as, oh, is he going to be released? I, I don't think he's going to be, especially with Jason Garrett's love for 12 and 13 personnel. And I do believe that that H-back role could be up in the air. But even if it is, I still think Caden Smith is going to make this roster. It's got to be Levine Toy Lolo, who's cut, and some of these other lower-level guys because Caden Smith has shown the ability to receive in 2019. He has shown the ability to run intermediate routes with some nuance. He has shown the ability to run deep. He's not the best athlete, but he has a more complete game for a tight end. And like you said before earlier in the podcast, he is the the best tight end on this roster relative to the position that they're at. Kyle Rudolph's one, Evan Ingram two, and then as a third tight end, I think Kane Smith would be that best third tight end, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think what you said is best. I mean, what you want is development with these players, these back-end roster players, and that's what he is. I mean, they claimed him, like you said. He was never a high draft pick, never has any kind of great pedigree. And you just want to see development, and that's what you got from Caden Smith. He showed off as a receiver in 2019. and 2020, he developed more as a blocker, and I guess he's not getting the opportunities maybe some people think that you need to make a roster, but I still think he's got a really good chance to make this Giants roster. I still think he's the clear-cut third-best tight end on this roster. I don't think that's going to go overlooked by the Giants. He's a solid blocker. I don't know if he'll still be in that role this year that he was last year that you said that was so pivotal to the blocking. Maybe somebody else. But they at least know that he can execute that role and he can execute it highly. And what he does as a receiver wasn't, for some reason, stressed in Jason Garrett's offense. So I actually think he'd be a good fit for what Jason Garrett likes from a receiving standpoint from the tight end position. But I still think there's potential there too. So for me, Smith remains a hold, a roster hold right now. Absolutely. And like we said, he's not the most athletic type of tight end. That's not his game. But I think you just said it very well. We talked about it a little bit before as well. He can receive, prove that in 2019. He definitely improved his blocking in 2020. And if you need that puller, if Gillespie ends up beating him out, he ends up getting injured, then you have Caden Smith as a third tight end. You like running 13 personnel, so he should earn spots there anyways. And now if something were to happen to say if Gillespie did steal that spot, if he were to go down, then he could fill that role. And that's something that I think is really, really important to what Jason Garrett wants to do on the ground with the power gap type of stuff. Yeah. All right, how about Levine Tailolo? The Giants restructured his contract, but I'm not sure he's going to make the roster. What are your thoughts on Levine Tailolo? Yeah, I mean, honestly, man, it's not pretty. I just feel like the guy was on the ground all the time. Like, he has quick feet as a pass protector. I'll give him that. Something that we we talked about when they first signed him. But, man, dude, as a run blocker, I feel like he just lunges forward and just ends up on the ground all the time. And he had a play against the Rams that I continue to laugh at because it's hilarious. It's, It's one of the best blocks I've ever seen somebody execute when getting planted he tries to double team with andrew thomas andrew thomas kicks his four eye technique or four technique down the line of scrimmage levine kind of chips him and then goes to climb to the linebacker falls down on the ground but then flips his body in front of the feet of the linebacker and that provided a hole for wayne gallman to just squeak through and then he wayne gallman ran for like 18 yards or something like that and i just thought it was hilarious because he executed his block but he fell on the ground uh and with levine man he just he doesn't really have any kind of receiving upside. He has a catch radius. They don't use it because it takes a while for him to get down the field. And he's not really an effective blocker yeah. as, as a run blocker. He's just on the ground way too much, high center of gravity, doesn't have the balance, can't move bodies at the point of attack. So I don't really understand why he why he's locked up with this roster spot. Is that just an indictment on Cole Hikatini, Rice and John, and some of these other lower-level guys? Maybe they haven't developed enough to kind of earn that spot. Do they just like the fact that he plays a lot of special teams and that he is very long? Possibly. But you need to stay on your feet in the NFL, and he just was on the ground way too often. Yeah, I don't think he's locked into a roster spot. I know they restructured his contract, but they can still get out of his contract fairly easily. He has a $1.6 million cap hit. They cut him now. They're going to get back 950000 of that. So they'll have a little bit of dead cap, nothing, pretty much a totally negligible number, easily, money they could easily create if they needed to. But they don't because they're under the cap anyway. But they could dip into any – they could find multiple ways to create that cap space that they, you know, would lose with the dead cap hit there. So I don't think he's a lock for the roster, and I just don't see the value of Levine Toy Lolo because he's not a good blocker. He's not a good receiver. 
He's a big body. He should be good. He looks like he could be good, but he's not. And so I just don't know at this stage of his career if he's going to develop any differently. He's not physical in the run game. I feel like that's one of his biggest issues. He's not as physical as he should be. The feet, you're right. Like, you look at him as an athlete. It's not just the, how he looks. It's the fact that his feet are so quick for his size. Like, in a perfect world, he could be, in my mind, like a great pass-protecting left tackle. He's obviously not because he's not a good blocker and his end techniques down. He probably took it up late in his life. So he became a tight end, but... I think his best trait remains a receive, his receiving ability, and that's just like you said. I mean, yeah, he has a huge catch, catch radius, catches most of what comes to him, but it takes so long for him to get downfield or in space or in a position to make a catch. Similar. That's just, no, yeah. No, similar to Shane Lemieux, man. Like, he's just really susceptible to those quick moves, those quick power moves right off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And he just doesn't have the balance or... Or really any, because he just lunges, man. He lunges all the time. And when you lunge and put your shoulder pads over your hips and over your feet, all the defender has to do is hit the top of your shoulder pad and your your momentum's going forward. And he doesn't have that kind of core strength to hold up uh, in those situations. And we just saw it way too often, man. Balance, too way bro. too often. All right, anything on Cole Higatini or Rice and John? I mean, Rice and John's reportedly uh, did well in minicamp and OTAs right. and all that stuff, but it, it's hard for us to really glean anything from any of those kind of reports we'll see a little bit more in training camp with both him and Hikatini, who could be interesting receiving type of options I can't really speak much to their blocking if I'm just going to be genuine here but as receivers they could offer something but I mean I think uh, training camp will probably have a little bit of a better understanding of what they can actually provide yeah that's fair I think the Giants I my guess is the Giants ultimately only go with three of these guys and somebody like Gillespie make, or Gillespie makes a roster. So we'll see what happens there. But those guys are going to have tough sledding. Let's get to some big questions facing the position. First one I have for you is, will Evan Ingram prove enough to earn a long-term contract with the Giants? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, Joe Judge raves about Evan Ingram. But Kevin Abrams <laughs> talked about how this team is going to be in a cap hell, basically, in 2022 because of all the additions they made this year. And they still have that one guy that, that a lot of Giant fans hope that they signed. And I think you and I are in that boat, and that's Jabril Peppers. So I, I don't think Evan Ingram is going to be a giant in 2022. Yeah, I'll answer this question a little differently because it'll tip off one of my bold pr- or my bold prediction for the show. I don't know what yours is, but mine is in the books. And I'll say he will do enough to earn a long-term contract, but I am going to say that I hope that the Giants do not give him that long-term contract. So I'll get into a little bit more of why I think that in a bit. But the next thing I'll say is the next big question facing the roster, I think, or facing the position of the roster would be, will Kyle Rudolph play at his highest level just months removed from that Liz Frank surgery? I mean, it's, that's a little bit difficult right there. I'm going to say no there because you're months removed from a serious foot surgery and right. feet are a huge part of the game. And, you know, just having that foot surgery and that rehabilitation through the season, you're probably not going to be fully ready and optimal for week one. So I'm going to say no there. Yeah, I'll agree with you on this one. I think the Giants will get the best they're going to get from Rudolph in the 2022 season. I think he'll be on the roster again in 2022. Don't think he'll be cut. I think they'll move on from Ingram, and he'll be just a nice glue guy there. And I think he'll play at his best then. But remember, he's still an aging player with a lot of tread on the tire. So even regardless of this Liz Frank, you're getting him on the back end of his career. This, to me, was by far and away the riskiest contract they signed this offseason by far and away the riskiest move they made this offseason even more to me than a dory jackson because at least with a dory jackson you're getting a guy who's proven he can carry the vertical stem and be really really help you in a key like somebody who can do what he can do at his best and that's take away that vertical route and be that island corner so much more important than what rudolph can do at his best and that's also a 24 uh, what is he 24 Adore, uh, 24 or a 24 year old athlete versus a 31 year old Rudolph. So coming off of the list, coming off of the list, Frank. So to me, it was by far and away the most questionable signing of the off season. Yeah, um, and I would say that they'll get their best from him in 2022. All right, Dan. So will the Giants still run a lot of Y stick option routes to the tight end? Yeah, I think they will. I think that's part of the reason they got Kyle Rudolph. I don't. Again, I don't think the leopard changes his spots that much. Jason Garrett has a system. He'll change a few things around. He'll add some things Joe Judge wants him to add and all these new minds that want him to add. But it's still going to be the same system. And this is a huge part of that system, that route. I mean, he feels like it's a nice security blanket. 
it's really important to what his concept of good offense is. His concept of good offense is one that's not playing behind the sticks a lot. And that's in his mind. I completely disagree with that concept. I think it's limiting. I think it's a terrible way to think about offensive football. I think it's proven if you look at the good offense in the NFL. But that's his concept, and he believes that. So he's going to want to stay ahead of the sticks. This is a great way for him to stay ahead of the sticks. If you have a guy who can run, Ingram wasn't helpful in that regard. But at times he was. Like, Ingram made some of those catches and got them into the second and threes they wanted or the third and twos they wanted. So I think that, you know, he will be uh, he will continue to rely on this, and Kyle Rudolph will be the new guy there. And why stick option? It's a good play. Like, I don't want to, like, crap on that play. It's a good, easy kind of security blanket typically if used <laughs> in the right manner and not overly abused and predictable like I feel like it was for a lot of teams to just kind of sit on it which we saw in 2020 it's a solid play to pick up a couple yards yeah. especially if you have a guy like Kyle Rudolph to run it so I do want to still see it I just don't want to see it as much you know or as often that's a, that's the key there it's still a great route it's still something they can use and utilize to their but it just needs to be flipped it needs to be your mindset can't be that you need to rely on these routes and occasionally use the routes mm. that can break open big plays it should be attack 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 and then do this sometimes yes yes and, and yeah people say but if you do that you're gonna get sacks and throw interceptions so what you need to score points you it doesn't matter if you're, if you're not taking sacks or throwing interceptions but you're not but you're the 31st ranked offense like the giants were and you're selling for field goals every game as your entire lifeblood of your offense you're not going to win any football games that matter at the nfl level you could squeeze out a wild card berth and lose in the first round like the washington football did team did but you're not going to do anything that matters and so you just have to make these types of low you know, high floor, low ceiling plays, less of your playbook, I guess. But we'll still see a lot of it for sure, for what it's worth, I think. Um, how many tight ends do you think will make the roster, Nick? That's the next question. And which ones will it be? See, this is uh, interesting be because there's so much reliance on that 13 personnel because Levine Toy Lolo reduced his contract and because they like using him on special teams there could be four and I think you said earlier that you believe it's going to be three I'm not going to be shocked if it's four and then uh some some combination of either Elijah Penny or Colin Gillespie are making that team as well so I'm gonna go with four yeah it's a tough call because like you said you still have Penny and Gillespie you also have such a loaded defense that there's so many guys on that end that I think mm -hmm. the roster will be a little bit top heavy to defense yeah, as far as 53 man goes and so just it, it's a numbers game i think probably you're right it probably is the four after they restructure that contract but i'm just i so i shouldn't say it i definitely think it'll be the three if you're asking me though gun to my head i think it's very close to 50 50 i'll go with the three just because i think like i said the defensive side of the roster has a lot of bodies that deserve a roster spot and we'll get a roster spot yeah and i think that's uh that's fine right there and then we have who will earn the most total snaps per game in this group? I'm actually going to go with a different answer than you're expecting, I think, and that you'll end up going with. I'm going with Ingram in this one. I think that, I mean, if the Giants want to win football games, I think he should play the most snaps. I don't love Ingram as a player, but again, I don't love Rudolph as a player either. I think he's an average tight end at this point in his career. It's just the facts. I mean, we could say what we want. We could pretend like Giants fans, everything's the greatest thing in the world, but the facts are he's a pretty average tight end, especially coming off that injury. And so with that in mind, if you really want to be a wide-open offense, one that's attacking, 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 having Ingram on the field, even as a decoy, even as someone who just stretch the seam and take a safety out of the play or run those drags as a you know, last-ditch effort, okay, nothing's open, nothing's open, I can come back to Ingram on the drag and he could potentially turn this little two-yard pass into 50. That's still just so much better to me than having Rudolph on the field. And so I know Rudolph will help with the blocking, but you shouldn't want to be running the ball that much. If you want to be a good offense, run game has to only be a supplement to your offense. Just like Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable said, they're like, you want to find more balance in your offense. He said, no, I don't want to find more balance in offense. I want to be more effective when I do decide to run the ball. That's it. I still don't, I don't need to find balance. Balance doesn't work. Passing works. Attacking works. Scoring works. And so ultimately i hope that ingram i hope i'm right about this and ingram deserves it and he earns it because i just think this offense can be so much better with ingram on the field than rudolph if you're only going with one tight end yeah i'm gonna go with kyle rudolph here because i feel like he's a better fit in this offense and what with, with what he's Jason a better tight end too yeah yeah so i'm gonna go with rudolph but again the injury that i'm gonna try to take that out of the equation and uh yeah so yeah that's yeah, go with that one. if he's fully healthy, it's a different story too. And he is the better tight end, so I don't know. It's tough to say what you'd rather have. He's the better, better at that position. I just think the offense is so much more upside with if you're only using one tight end with Ingram versus Rudolph. But we'll see. Bold predictions for me. I'm going to say Ingram has a career year across the board. Every stat setting new career highs, except for touchdowns. I'm going to say with the, with the exception of that, receptions, yards per catch, 
receiving yards. I think he does it all, career highs across the board, because I think the key for Ingram will just be not being a focal point of the offense, just being another guy on the field that defense refused to pay attention to because they can't. They want to pay attention to Galladay. They want to pay attention to Barkley. They want to pay attention, hopefully, to Tony or one of those receivers that emerges. And that'll leave Ingram as that fourth option when he's on the field. And I think he can take advantage of that. I think he's going to. I think he's going to be really effective this year. I have a good feeling, especially with all the research they've done on those players coming a year off of that Liz Frank injury. So last year was his first year off the Liz Frank. And I thought he did like, I thought he did look a little bit slower. He looked a little less bursty. And even like something as simple as that Eagles uh, Eagles drop, everyone references, you know, the game losing quote unquote drop that he made against the Eagles. He has a little bit more speed a year off that Liz Frank that he's going to have, I think, this season. He may be able to run under that football, and so he never has to reach out his hands and make that catch. It just falls, you, you know, he runs under it, and it goes right into his breadbasket. So I just think there's going to be a lot more plays for him this year where he looks better out there now that he's full year removed from that injury. And so I just think we're going to see him really step up in this new role. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with... And I don't know how bold this is, but just looking at Kyle Rudolph's career stats, it does kind of seem like it may be, even though it's a different situation in offense, one that might be a little bit more conducive towards success for him. I'm going to say Kyle Rudolph has more than 60 receptions this year. Now, looking at his career stats, he had 64 in 2018 and 83 in 2016. But other than that, he's never cracked 60. So I don't think it's... uh, I, I think it's... I think it's bold to say it's bold, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he <laughs> it's not bold to say he it's bold. barely has 60 receptions over his last two full seasons. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to go with that. I think that's bold enough. Yeah, and he even said part of the reason I wanted to leave the Vikings because my role got reduced. Like, he wasn't an option in the passing game. And they, and, they drop an Irv, too, man. Yeah, and yeah. you're right. Like, he's going to probably get 60 because that's Jason Garrett's offense. He's It's Jason Garrett's offense, and he's probably going to be in position to get a lot of these easy you know, what they consider easy yards. I don't I don't even consider the wide stick easy yards. I consider it a pretty poor solution at getting easy yards when you have other plays that can get easy yards plus potentially break open for long ones. Yeah, Evan Ingram had 63 last year, but again, he was the focal point. There's a lot more yeah. mouths to feed now. In no this Barkley, offense. no Tony, yeah. And so, yeah, I think he can get there. I, don't, I think you're going to, I think you might be right on that one. And then we have a question from the listener. Dan, enter name here asks... If a team like the Chargers were to come to each of you with a trade request for Evan Ingram, what round pick would be the lowest value that you would accept for him? I mean, in season at this point, like I, it's almost you almost better off having Ingram on the roster, though. I mean, he is also a free agent that we don't really want to resign. I'd take probably a third, yeah, definitely. Same fourth, here. I'd consider, but a third, I would I would probably definitely take. I think. A third is safe. I don't know if I would consider. A yeah, they don't have as much just because the depth. Yeah. yeah, they can't do it. They don't have any other. T- they can't rely on just Rudolph off the injury, Caden uh, Smith and, and Levine Toilolo. Yeah, so that's why I think it would be a third for me. All right, Paul Rudd asks, "Do you think Max Protect does more harm than good? You're relying on th- a lot of third and fourth string talent and taking your better players off the field." Yeah, well, it depends on what exact you're doing, the sequence of plays that you're calling. Now, if you're running the ball effectively and, you know, you have the defense on their heels and they're biting really hard and then you call max protect and then you have like a Yankee concept or some kind of two-man route concept where it's a vertical shot and you could possibly establish leverage on that vertical shot because you've been running the football down the throat of the defense, then I think max protect is fine. But I just don't think you should abuse it because there's only two routes. If those routes end up getting covered, which we saw this in 2020, Dan, then Daniel Jones looks around. He's like, I have nowhere to go. And he just tries to scramble. And then that also leaves up opportunity of him you know, taking a hit, getting injured, or even fumbling the football, despite the fact that it was max protect. Correct. Yeah, you're spot on with this, Nick. I mean, it's best used. It's on the coordinator. He's got to time it up right. And we saw the Giants try this a lot last year, I thought, where they went into those deep seven-step drop play action passes with max protect and two-man routes out there. And it worked sometimes. It didn't work others. But if you use it right, it's still very, very valuable. I know the Giants used to use that really well during the Kevin Gilbride years. It was a different offensive system, of course. But it can be used right. I don't think it always does more harm than good to answer the question. But I think, like you said, it has to be used sporadically. It has to be used correctly. And I think yeah. that's a good question, Paul Rudd. <laughs> but I also uh, think those tight ends need to get off their, their leaks quicker, too. Because there were times right. where Daniel Jones, he was like, okay, everything's covered. He's waiting for Evan Ingram or Levine Toilo to, or Caden Smith to come off their leaks, and it just never happened. And then it just resulted in negative plays. And that would be on, like, a first and 10 situation. And now you have, like, a second and 11, and then the entire drive is uh, up for, you know— 
a possible just ending right there. So Yeah, you put yourself in a bad spot. All right, that's all the time we have for today on the tight end breakdown. As usual, if you want to help us grow and support and you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find us there. Make sure you download and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter. Follow us on YouTube. Just type in Big Blue Banter for that one, and you'll be able to see us there. We have eclipsed the 600 rating mark. We're at 601. We want to get even higher. Uh, we did recently get a few great reviews in here, but nothing we haven't already said on the podcast. So if you want to get a question answered on the podcast, you want to shout us out or whatever, leave it in the review on iTunes, and we will read it on the show. All right, have a great rest of your week, everyone, and we will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.